Uh, anyway, this morning we're jumping into a new series. We finished up Philippians, which has been, we've been studying Philippians literally the entire time our church has existed, um, doing services together. So uh, we're doing something different now, which will be fun. So we're going to jump into a new series, walking through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. So if you got up your Bible, I hope you do. Um, if you can head toward Acts chapter one, we're going to be uh, beginning that, that uh, walking through that together. So this past week, as you're turning there, Jessica and I um, have been kind of on a, on a spot where all of the shows that we had on Netflix and Hulu and whatever, uh, we finished them all, and now we don't know what to do with ourselves because every recommendation we've gotten so far from you guys has been terrible, so you got to step up your you got to step up your game, all right? And so we ended up watching a documentary, which I'm not a documentary guy. Maybe you are. I wish I was that like intellectual and stuff to watch documentaries. I'm just not, okay? So the other day, somehow or another, we ended up watching a documentary um, on a company called WeWork. Have any of you ever heard of WeWork? Um, great. It is apparently a thing. There's a documentary about it. You can watch it. But essentially, it was this company that uh, this guy who had like long hair like Jesus um, started. And essentially, they were going to, uh, they, they, they basically bought old buildings and then put really fancy offices in them and then rented them to people my age and then told them they were changing the world. That's essentially what happened, okay? Like, this is all they're doing is they have really pretty cubicles with like uh, everything's got that like aesthetic, like turbo coffee shop. Like everything looks like turbo and it's just your office and then you give them money. But this guy, like, it wasn't just about that. It wasn't. It couldn't just be about you know the like the rent, we're just renting offices. It had to be something bigger than that, right? And so we had this whole narrative, and there's videos of this guy talking, and he's telling everyone like that's that's a part of that's renting an office from him, or that's that's a part of the team. He's like, we're literally changing everything about the world. He said, like, literally, there's a, there a quote. He said, we're we're going to revolutionize every aspect of how people relate to one another with pretty cubicles. Right, like it doesn't make any sense. Like you're watching it in hindsight, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This company ended up like over a couple of years getting like a sixty billion dollar valuation. And there's all these people that were are being interviewed in this documentary who worked there and who like bought into this whole thing, and they literally like, I thought we were changing the world. And as you're watching them, there's an embarrassment on their face because at the end of the day, it's just pretty cubicles. That's all it is, man. Like that's all we're doing. But they they were bought into this, and they're telling the story of like how this this charisma and this like passion and this dude told me we're changing the world. And I, I wanted to be a part of changing the world. And then at the end of the day, it all just fell apart. I think a lot of us, like all of us, like there's something in us that there's this innate desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And as we walk through like our world, we see that there's, there's stuff that we would want to see different. We want to be a part of change. Like we want to have significance in that. We want to see the world like move towards goodness and justice, right? Like we want to be a part of those type things. But we also don't want to be fooled. We also don't want to be the people that end up on the documentary that bought into a lie and end up like being a part of some weird like office space cult, okay? Like that's not something that we, we want to be a part of changing the world, but we also don't want to be fooled. As we kind of walk through this, this series, these next few weeks together, walking through the beginning of Acts, um, that's, that's where I want us to land, I want us to be reminded of what it is we're actually trying to do because we say very similar things as the church. Like, like Christ is the agent that can change the world and we're his people who are about his business, that we're, we're literally a part of God's plan to save the world. And I want to be convinced of that mission. I want to understand that mission clearly. I want you to understand that mission clearly, exactly what God has called us into, but I also want you to have certainty that you're not buying into, you're not buying into a, a scheme that you're not going to end up being fooled at the end of the day. So we walk through the series, the first seven chapters of Acts. It's telling the story of how the church began. 
the story of how like the church began. So that, that's, that's obviously relevant for us because we're a new church that's beginning, right? And so as we read the story of how the church began, we can see how our church, our local expression of the church universal is beginning and what we need to be doing and what we need to be about and how that's gonna take place and how it's gonna shape us and shape those around us. But when I read Luke, and Acts, like Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. It's a two-part thing, all right? And so when I read the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, I get a sense that Luke knew that he was already a part of something far bigger than himself. But I also get the sense that he didn't want to be fooled into believing a lie. And so as we walk through this, you're going to see this huge level of intentionality on his part for himself and for those around him to make sure that they know that they're a part of something bigger than themselves, but also know that they're not buying into something that's fake. I think that's why he wrote Luke and Acts. So that, that those who could, around him, they were reading this thing, they could join the mission so that you and I could join the mission and would know with certainty that it was built on truth. That's why we should read it. So as we walk through Acts, I hope you find answers to these two questions. Like as we walk through the series, like a while, like you, you take a, you want to take a picture of that or like write that down or something. Like these are our two like overriding goals for these next several weeks together as we walk this summer on the, on the walking through Acts chapters one through seven. So the first is this, like what is the mission that we're joining when we trust Christ? So as believers, like when you come to trust Jesus as your savior and Lord, like it's not just about you. So there's this grander thing that's supposed to impact the whole world. So what is this mission that you and I are joining when we trust Christ? I also want us to have a, a very clear understanding of the second one of how do we help carry it out? I think a lot of us that are part of Oaks, man, we, we read the Great Commission at the end of every service. Like we're, we're clear on the mission, I hope. Maybe there's some fuzziness in there. We're gonna work through that. But that second one about how, how do we actually do this? How do we carry this out? Like under whose power? Like how, do, how is this actually going to take root in our lives and in our community? If we're, if we're a part of this mission as Christians, then how do we do this? So those are our two goals. So as we begin the book of Acts, it begins in verse one, obviously, and it says this, and Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All right, so he's referring to the gospel of Luke. It's a two-part series, all right? So book one was the gospel of Luke, book two was Acts. And he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with everything that Jesus had begun to do and teach. All right, so who, look at first, let's get our characters set. All right, so who's, who's Luke? So he's, he's the author of the book of Acts. He's also the author of the gospel of Luke. He was a doctor, it says, tells us that in Colossians 4. And Luke's name only appears three times in the whole New Testament. The whole New Testament, Luke's name only shows up three times. And of those three times, it's always Paul. And it's always Paul writing from prison. And talking about how all three, like, like where Luke was present with Paul. So he was with Paul as a companion of Paul, as a disciple of Paul. Like Paul led this dude to Christ and was pushing him and using him in ministry. And Paul's been around, uh, Luke's been around all the people that Paul would have associated with. And he's studying these things, not as, not as like firsthand guy. He wasn't there, but he's been studying these things and putting these things together, making sure that he's not buying into a lie. In Acts, Acts chapter 16, Luke actually starts beginning to use the pronoun we. And so he's like, there's this point when he joins in there with Paul and they're doing all these things together and the stuff that they were working through and planting these churches all over the place with the name and renown of Jesus, like Luke was there. So he's a guy who's become a Christian and he's, he's set about the work of Christ. Luke's a church planner. If you're, if you're a part of Oaks, like this is who you are. Like you're in this thing with us. You're a church planner. Luke's a church planner. And he's in here. He's trying to figure out what his mission is and how he's going to be a part of it. And then he's writing to you to let you know what you need to know to be a part of it as well. And that's what he's doing. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus. He's giving Theophilus this orderly account of things so that Theophilus's faith can also be strengthened 
and he can get to work too. So who's this Theophilus guy, all right? He's the same person that Luke wrote the gospel of Luke to. So he's probably a Roman official. He's an important guy, and he's, 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 he's writing this, this, this to him. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says, uh, this is how Luke begins. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those uh, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, that, um, having delivered, this, uh, li- delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, just write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He says, I'm writing these things so that you can have certainty about the things that you've been taught. That's what Luke is after. He wants to be a part of the mission. He wants to have certainty that he's not buying a lie. He's writing to a younger believer, like a newer believer saying, listen, I want you to be a part of the mission and I want you to have certainty about the things that you've been taught. And so Luke shares all this historical fact in order to strengthen the faith of people like us. Christianity is not built on speculation. That's not, that's not the idea here. The idea is that we have a belief system that's based off some speculation that we've come up with. We're, like our faith is a faith that's based on historical fact. And we have, we have, if we have certainty about those historical facts, those historical events, then it gives us this power and this certainty about the mission that those historical facts invite us into. So Luke's saying, listen, I'm not trying to give you a history book. I'm not just trying to tell you what just happened. I'm trying to invite you into what has happened. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than just I'm telling you a tale. It's not just a story. I just want you to have an account so that you can know these facts. He's saying, this is what, this is what Jesus began. And then this is what we went and did with that. And now, Theophilus, and you 2,000 years later, this is how you can be a part of continuing that mission. Acts is an invitation. It's an invitation for me and you to begin stepping into the work that Christ began when he was here on earth and continues to propel forward by his spirit. It's supremely important, like this, this based off who Jesus is and what he's done, like what does it require of us? What is he inviting us into practically day to day? So in the first book, I've dealt with everything Jesus began to do and teach. So this, the first book was all about what, what Jesus began to do. A lot of times we talk about the work of, of Jesus being finished, and in one sense, the work of Jesus is completely and utterly finished. The work, of, the, work of, the work of Christ on the cross is a finished work for you and for me. That work wasn't just began there, it was finished there. When Jesus cries out, it is finished, it was absolutely finished. So everything that I needed for my salvation, everything that I needed for my eternity, everything that I needed to be saved by, he'd, he'd accomplished that on the cross. But the work was like the, the work of salvation was accomplished, like death was defeated, like Jesus wins, right? But Taking that message to the ends of the earth, that was just beginning. Jesus like really invested himself in a handful of people. There was like a dozen guys and like a handful of women, and that was it. That was only people who were like privileged to this, this person of, of Jesus. There were some crowds coming around, but you see time and time again, Jesus kind of sending the crowds away. Jesus getting in boats and getting across the lakes, like getting away from the crowd so he could invest in these handfuls of people. And then he says to those handful of people, okay, now the work has been accomplished. I've done what only I could do. Now it's up to you to take that message and do something with it. So he says that Jesus began, like I've told you everything about this work that Jesus began to do and to teach. There's word and there's deed. Like he's doing something, he's teaching something. There's word and there's deed. There's teaching and there's action. And so there's, if there's a beginning point here in Acts chapter one of saying Jesus began to teach and he began to do. 
And there's something in us that there's going to have to be a continuation of the teaching and a continuation of the doing, right? So it keeps going in verse 2. He says, until the day that he was taken up. He began this thing until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So there came this end point where Jesus is, like, like Dylan's going to talk about it next week, the ascension, where Jesus, he leaves after he's given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd, he'd, he'd chosen. So in Acts, he's writing about the same stuff. It's the same ministry, the same word, the same deed, which continued after his ascension and is still in progress today. When I think about the ascension of Jesus, it reminds me of like the story of Elisha passing, passing, uh, kind of passing the torch to Elisha. Elijah and Elisha are always really hard things for me to say and like differentiate there, right? And so I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but Elisha was this incredible man of God, right? But there came a time when his life on earth was going to end and there was this guy coming up behind him. His name was Elisha and Elisha was chasing him around everywhere and like he, he wanted to be the next guy up. And there was this moment where, where Elijah, he takes off his mantle. It was kind of like his, uh, it's kind of like a shawl basically. And it was a signal of who he was. He'd be recognized by it. He takes this thing off and he puts it around the shoulders of Elisha and then Elisha's taken up. He's gone. And then there's Elisha, now this new guy, right, who doesn't have all the experience, doesn't have all the authority that the one before him had, but he's wearing the mantle. He's got, he's got the marker on of, of the one that he had followed, the one that he had learned from. And once that marker was on him, once that thing was placed around his shoulders, the responsibility to lead, the responsibility to serve, the responsibility to teach, word and deed, right, it became his and so in a, in a very real sense, like Jesus finished this work that only he could do. He, he, he calls these people to, to take on that mantle. He takes it off himself and lays it around their neck. And he said, hey, I know that you're going to feel like you're insufficient for this. But it's yours now. And then he left. And that mantle didn't stop with the, the handful of people that were believers at the time. That mantle has been passed down and passed down and passed down. And somebody, if you're a Christian in the room, at some point, put that mantle around your shoulders. Even if you didn't realize it, when they, when they shared Christ with you and you came to a point where you trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that mantle was also put on your shoulders. I think a lot of times for me growing up in church, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that there was a, there was a, a passing off, there was a mantle that came with this. I thought this was a thing that was just for me. That it, like, if, I, if, I didn't be, if I didn't wanna be in hell or something, like if I just trusted Jesus, if I just did this little thing, I could check this box and me and Jesus would be cool and then everything was done. Not the case. There's a, there's a continuation of the ministry that Jesus began that rests on your shoulders. If you haven't really began doing anything inside that mission yet, then these next several weeks as we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to call each other, we're going to call each other to be people who take up that mantle and begin to run hard after the mission that Jesus left us with. Looking at how exactly we can do that and how God will empower us to do that. I want to invite you into this mission with us. And so before that handoff happened, between Jesus and these apostles, look, look what happened. In verse 3, it says this, that Jesus, he presented himself alive to them uh, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so we know that from the Gospels and from 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to more than like 500 people during this period of time. That Jesus was there, like he's back in the flesh, like he's doing some pretty insane stuff, but he's with them. He's spending time with people. Like they saw him and touched him and like laughed with him and shared meals with him, like with a guy who had been buried and then no longer was. What do you think they were talking about? 
These 40 days when Jesus is with these apostles, he's with these 500, like what, do you, what did they talk about? They're not just like hey, having fun and like having a good time. Like surely maybe there's some enjoyment, some, some joy there. But if, you knew, if you're Jesus and you know that in, the, in, in a few short weeks, you're gonna leave earth for an incredibly long time and leave the entire mission of what's been done, like the whole message of what's been done in these people's hands, what would you be doing? You'd be coaching, you'd be equipping, you'd be making sure that they got it and that they were ready to not just understand it for themselves, but to take this mission to somebody else. Jesus was preparing them to bear witness, to continue the work, to begin a movement that would radically change the world. They need to be certain about some things. They need to be clear on some things. They need to understand some things, but they also need to understand the task that was at hand. It wasn't just about their internal knowledge base, right? It wasn't just about their, their like, their conscious understanding of something. It was also like, this is, this is a mission. Like, this is something we're invited into. So for 40 days, he says, he appeared to them and spoke about the kingdom of God. We say this a lot around church. Though. It's like, oh, we want to be a church that isn't trying to build a castle, but trying to build the kingdom. I don't, I don't want us to be a church that's trying to build a, a big old grand castle for those of us to hang out in, right? Like we'll buy our own weird chandeliers and put them in our own building somewhere. Like, I don't, I don't care about that. Like, I don't want us to be castle builders. Now you're all distracted by the weird chandeliers. Aren't they crazy looking? It's like a ball of snakes. I hate them. Somebody spent a lot of money on that, Right? I don't want us to be a church that's, that's, that's pouring ourselves out and being generous with one another, like, like to build a big old giant castle for us to sit in and insulate ourselves in and take care of ourselves and have as many programs as possible to entertain ourselves with. And like, I don't, I don't want to build a castle. There's plenty of castles. We're in one. We rent it. It's great. We don't have to do maintenance. It's wonderful. Like we don't even vacuum the thing. It's great. Like, I don't want to build a castle. I want to be, I want to be kingdom builders. I want to pour myself out, not for a castle, but for the kingdom, for the, for the actual king. I don't, want to, I don't want to set myself up here and act like I'm the king or you're the king. Like there's a king and he reigns. And my job is to serve him with every ounce of breath that I have. And so, uh, so we, we don't speak about our castle. It says 40 days, he's speaking about the kingdom of God. This summer, we're trying to do a lot of things to engage our community well. Doing some outreach stuff, and we're gonna, like Saturday, we're gonna give away some popsicles in a park because public school's letting out, and kids like popsicles. And here's a popsicle, like roll tide, you know. Like, but there's an invitation there where we're inviting people to say, so like, if you're not a part of a church, we'd love for you to come and jump in with Oaks because like God's doing some pretty incredible stuff there, and I'd love for you to get to be a part of that. Even that invitation to be a part of Oaks, like even that thing saying like, hey, we'd love for you to come, isn't about building the castle. It's, not, it's still not about building the castle. It's not saying, hey, we, we, want our, our, we want this room to be full or we want that room to be full or we want to get a bigger room and then we'll get a bigger room after that and we'll have a super big room. Like, I don't, that's not what we're trying to do. We're saying, listen, if you're not engaged with the gospel, if you're not walking with Christ well, like God's doing some really special stuff in this group of people that we call ourselves Church of the Oaks and we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's still about building the kingdom. It's still seeing them draw near to Christ. It's still not about building our thing. We're not going to be about our thing. In fact, whereas as focused as possible on sending people somewhere else to build more things to build the kingdom. So he presented himself alive, appeared to them during these 40 days. He's preparing them to be kingdom builders. And then he says this, verse, verse four, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait, just stay there, just to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So at this point, like he's, it's just a dozen or so men, a handful of women, and there's a promise. And their whole, all of their instruction was to wait. Like he's like, I'm out. Um, don't do anything. <laughs> you know, just stay here for a minute. Like don't, don't like try to go grind it out and like make a whole thing. Like don't get a dry race board out yet. Like just, you just need to wait. I'm awful at waiting. Like, if you give me a task, if you give me a mission, if you give me something like, man, this thing is going to change the world. Like, what do you want to, what do you want to do? I want to get the dry erase board out. Like, we're going to make a checklist. I'm going to have like mission state. We're going to go hard and we're going to get to work and then we're going to grind it out. And Jesus, the king, told this handful of people just to wait. Just to wait on the spirit. And so before you can get anything done, before you're going to have any effectiveness in this mission, you, you got to have the spirit. So just don't even try. <laughs> just, just, don't, just take a nap. Like whatever, I don't know what you need to do. Just, just, just wait here. Just wait until the spirit gets here. Then you, can, then you can do something. But before that, it's just kind of worthless. Don't even try. I'm not built for that. None of us are. Like we're Americans, man. We're supposed to be bootstrapping everything. You know, like if we try hard enough, we can achieve anything, right? I told us that in kindergarten. You can be whatever you want to be. Jesus is like, no, you can't. You're going to be a big giant failure without the spirit. So just sit there and wait. Which at one point is a little offensive to like my pride, which is great. And so for us as a church, like if we're, if we're going to try to be a part of this, this mission, like our first task can't be, our first instinct can't be to grind harder and push more, and do more things, and add on programs, and like, I don't know, get more light bars or something. Like, that can't be what our, our MO is. Our MO is going to have to be waiting, like, trusting that the Spirit is going to empower us to do things that are far beyond what we can do. Because without the Spirit, we're not going to accomplish anything. Until the Spirit showed up, they just needed to stay put. And as we study Acts this, this summer together, we're going to be reminded of the significance of the Spirit to the mission. That we cannot and should not try to do this on our own. It's not going to happen. We're going to go nowhere. We cannot, should not try this on our own. But when the Spirit shows up, we're going to struggle to keep up. And as the Spirit shows up and as the Spirit moves, like we're going we're gonna to struggle to keep up with the work that God's doing. So I've got five goals here that I've... That, uh, that I, I just kind of an overview, man. Like, I, like five goals for us as we study Acts. And so, if you're if you if you have something that you take notes in that you bring with you kind of every week, like this is something that I'd love for you to have. Like, if you online people, like this is this is something I want you to be thinking about. Just have on your mind as we're walking through this series this summer. Okay, so five goals for us as we study the Book of Acts. The first one is that God would transform our hearts. As we look at the book of Acts, as we study the beginning of the church, that God would transform our hearts. Instead of a history book, this is not a history book. Instead of a history book, we've got to approach Acts as a people who are desperate to see God move. Desperate to see God move mightily in the present like he did in the past. Do you want to see God move like he did in the past? Like in the past? Like do you want to be a part of, like in your lifetime, like in this city, like do you want to be a part of God doing things that sound like the book of Acts? If you're familiar with this thing at all and the insanity of what God accomplished. Do you want to be a part of that? Stuff? I want to be a part of that. Like this morning I was thinking about this. There's a church in Nashville that's just seeing God this move in some powerful ways and revivals broken out because it's like big old church. It's called Long Hollow. And we spent some time up there and God's doing some crazy stuff and they're, it's just, it's straight up revival. And I'm jealous. I'm like, oh, I want to be at Long Hollow. Like, that sounds awesome, right? And then God's like, you are, man. Like, you're here. This is, this is, what, we're, this is what we're building. Do you want to see God move powerfully in, in, in the present, in your life, in our life, in our city? 
what we see and move in the past, then God's got to transform our hearts. He's got to transform our hearts and give us this desperation to see and move like that. Second, second goal is this. Like I, want, I want God to expand our expectations. I want God to expand our expectations. Acts covers a relatively short time. Like it's, it's only three decades. The book of Acts, is, it's, it's, it's three decades. And it goes from a few people standing around doing nothing, waiting, right? To the world being changed permanently, like irrevocably. Like the earth like shifts on its axis because of what happens during these three decades. It's all it took. In the years between 33 AD and 64 AD, a new movement was born that utterly and completely changed the course of history because of what Jesus did in a few hours. That's all it took. What do you think God can do through a modern local group of believers in the same period of time? See, sometimes I think that little happens because little is expected. Sometimes I think we don't see a lot, like see, see very much happen because we honestly don't think God's going to do anything. And I don't think God's going to do things like he, maybe he doesn't do this kind of stuff anymore. Like God doesn't do this grand earth shaping stuff anymore. Maybe he's done. And I don't think he's done. The way the book of Acts ends tells me he's not done that. Like the book of Acts is just, it's, it's recording what's going on, recording, 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 and then it just stops and it's done. Like there is no outro and it's like, and this concludes the acts of the apostles. And he's like, yeah, and that's as far as I got. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next and I'm, I'm out, right? And there's this continuation, like there's, it, it's, we're not done. And so in a very real sense, like you are still writing the book of Acts, the acts of the apostles, the followers of Jesus. This is what they did. So what do you think God can do through a modern local group of believers in 30 years? What do you think God can do through us? What do you think I can do in 30 years? Like, do you think this is, this is going to be what we're doing in 30 years? It's just going to be us. We'll still be like hanging out. We'll be like really good friends by then. I'm going to be super old. Like, it's going to be awesome. Like, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little, little back stuff going on. Like, I may need like a walker. I mean, like, is that our grand expectation? I'm going to be toddling up here over here, you know, and getting, get some, get a ramp maybe. Ride my jazzy scooter up here. Like, I don't. That's not it, man. That's not, that's not what we're shooting for. We're not trying to just keep the kingdom together. We're going to hang out together. It's going to be great. And we've got our little community. And no, like, I want to see tens of thousands of people come to know and follow Jesus well. I want to send disciple makers of Jesus all over God's green earth by just being disciple makers of Jesus here. I want to see churches like on every continent. I want to see churches like in all of these college towns that are underserved. all these college students. Like nobody's engaging them. Nobody's engaging anybody in Jacksonville State and Alabama. Nobody's down there doing that. Like I want to see people sent out to be, be kingdom makers all over the world. What do you think God can do in 30 years to a local group of believers who are actually committed to his mission, to building the kingdom, not our castle? I've prayed that prayer, that, that 10,000, tens of thousands thing. I prayed that prayer for years. I started praying that when Jack was born. I started praying over Jack. I said, God, would you use um, my family and I and the people that we get to serve with, would you use us to see tens of thousands of people come to know and follow Jesus? And honestly, when I started praying that, that felt real unrealistic. Just didn't really see a good way for that to happen. I mean, there wasn't any kind of multiplicative element to us. There wasn't any kind of sending. We hadn't had that part figured out yet. And over the years, like especially as we come, came here and we're with you and the whole mission like clicks and it makes sense that the Great Commission is a mission of sending. It's not a mission of keeping. We're not building a giant swimming pool. I don't want to have a church of tens of thousands of people. I want to see tens of thousands of people come to know and follow Jesus all over the world as people like you are sent out to do that work.
So as we're reaching and equipping and discipling people and then letting them go, sending them out well, backing them up, like making sure that they've got whatever they need to do what God's called them to do there so that we can also do what we've done here. Now they're, now we're here and there and there and there and there and there. You're going to be on some of those church plant teams. You're going to be praying for some people in not too distant future who are going to be uprooting their lives and planting their lives somewhere else to do this somewhere else. And then we're going to get behind them and back them up the way that people have backed us up so we can do all this. And then we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again. What can God do in 30 years with a group of people like that? So I hope over the next few weeks, God expands uh, our expectations. And third, I'm praying that God will give us a passion for the mission. I'm praying that God will just give us a deep, like heart-wrenching passion for the mission. We've got to view ourselves as continuing the mission. We can't, we, can't, we can't see the book of Acts as something separate from us, as a thing that had happened and is now closed. Like we have to view ourselves as continuing the mission. The same mission that we see beginning in Acts has continued through centuries and it continues now with you. It's, it's us, it's our mission. This is who we are. A mission worth leveraging our lives for. We're not, we're not trying to change the world by renting office spaces and building pretty cubicles. Like, that, like this is, there's something like, deep and true in the person of Jesus. We're not out here trying to sell a lie to some people to get them to do something. Like we're out here like sharing the hope and the joy and the peace that only comes through Jesus. The power of the message is already there. The truth is already there. The, the authenticity is already there. What it takes is some people that are just committed to living, to leveraging their lives for that mission. We're the next ones up. Somebody invested in you. If you're a Christian, like somebody's been investing in you, somebody invested in them, and somebody invested in them, and, that, and, and now you and I, right, we're the next ones up. For thousands of years, like this mission has been continuing, changing the world. People have stepped up, and people have stepped up, and they've shared Christ, and it's our turn. We're the next ones up. Purpose and hope and joy and salvation are found in Jesus. But that message is shared through people like me and people like you. So I want God to give you a passion for that mission. Fourth, I'm praying that God will empower us for the mission. I'm praying that God will empower us for the mission. So in Acts, these believers, like they're just sitting there like waiting for the Spirit to come, like not doing anything until the Spirit gets there. So believers are empowered by the Spirit to, to do what God's called them to do, like to share the good news of Christ among Jews and Gentiles and all of what. And that, that's, how the, that's how the church was started because the Holy Spirit empowered people like you to do something insane. And that's what I'm praying that God will do with us. That the Spirit would empower us to do things far beyond ourselves. That it wouldn't be about our grit and our effort and our tenacity and like, it wouldn't be about that. It would be about the Spirit doing something so much bigger than the sum of the parts of what we're trying to put together. This thing is too big for us. This thing that we're a part of, like the, the, the Great Commission, like the, the God's mission to change the world, it is way too big for us. It's way too big for all the believers on like the planet. Like it's, it's too big for us. We are not going to accomplish it through grit. We are not going to accomplish it through cleverness, through wrapping the gospel in a nice little pretty outfit and parading it out to a world that doesn't care. That's it's not how this is going to change the world. It's only through the power of the Spirit. So somewhere we're going to be people who are praying for the Spirit to move, for the Spirit to empower, for the Spirit to send for the Spirit to engage, for the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do as we, as we rush in, empowered by the Spirit, to accomplish the mission. The last thing I'm praying is God's going to teach us how. 
like practically, that God's going to teach us, teach you individually, teach us how to accomplish the mission. Like, what are we supposed to do? Acts answers the question of how we carry out the mission. Like, Jesus gave them the mission and then, like, go, right? And so this, whatever they went and did, those are the type of things that we need to be a part of. So faithful witnesses, do you see in Acts, like faithful witnesses, people who are just faithfully sharing Christ, it brings great results, that's how it works. Like the people just shared Christ faithfully, like doing what they were called to do, like as they were going, like they're just sharing Jesus with people. And then this insane thing happened. The more they shared Jesus with people, the more people came to know Jesus, <laughs> right? They didn't build giant buildings and more people came to know Jesus. They didn't like throw a parade or something and like entertain people into coming to know Jesus. His people, individuals, shared what they knew of the person of Jesus and people's lives were changed and they were sent out to share what they knew of Jesus and other people's lives were changed and then the world was changed. Like that's, that's how this works. Like in, in Acts chapter four, verse four, it says this, but many of those who had heard the word, they just heard it, heard the word, they believed. And it says the number of men came to about 5,000. That's chapter four. Chapter 11, uh, verse 20 and 21, it says, but there were some of them, some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists also, that's the Gentiles. And they just preached the Lord Jesus. It says that they, all they did, they just preached. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They just showed up, and they're like, Antioch, it's a cool, cool name for a town. All right, let me, tell you, let me tell you people about Jesus, right? And like, a great number of people turned to the Lord. Chapter 13, verse 48, it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout that whole region. Chapter 17, verse 4, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a, and did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Like all these people are just showing up and trusting Christ and joining the mission. Chapter 21, verse 20, it says, When they heard it, they glorified God. They heard the message, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Luke's going to show us what led to the explosive growth of Christianity. It wasn't the super talented people. It wasn't influencers. It wasn't cleverness. It wasn't grit. It was just sharing Christ. And as people stepped up to share what they knew of the Savior, lives were changed. And then they were sent out to share what they knew of the Savior, and lives were changed. So Acts is a story. Acts is, is, is a story that, that is continuing still. Acts is a story that's still in progress. And, and you and I, like we're still a part of this story. It's a story not yet completed. So the ministry, the stuff that like Jesus began to do and teach, that, that ministry still continues. And that mantle now rests on my neck and on your neck. Like it is the mission he has left us with. And this summer, we got to determine what we are going to do with that. I'm praying that this summer, as we walk through this series, God is going to light a fire in you and in me and in us and you people online for continuing this mission. So let me pray. Let me pray for God to do that in us. All right, let's pray together. Father, um, God, I pray that uh, even this morning, God, as we, as we begin the, the study of the book of Acts, God, that you, um, that you would just seat that idea deep in our hearts, that Acts is not a closed book, that the, that the work that you're doing to change the world was not completed at the end of the book of Acts, God, but that we're the next people up, the mantles resting on our shoulders, that we are a part of that same mission to take the good news of Christ to the nations. 
And so God, with that knowledge, uh, honestly for me comes a lot of, um, sometimes it's a lot of pressure. And so God, I also pray that you would remind us of where our, um, where our power comes from for accomplishing the work you've set before us. That it doesn't come from our cleverness or our intellect or our strategy. It doesn't come from how hard we can grind it out. But through the power of the Spirit, you'll enable us to do what you've called us to do. You called us to plant a church here. And God, I trust that you're going to establish the work of our hands here. But you didn't call us to plant one church in one city. That vision is just not big enough. You wanted to, you want to see the you want to see us sending people all over the world. So God, I pray that you would send disciple makers of Jesus. Out of Oaks, all over the place. I pray that you would send people that are in this room. God, it's going to break my heart when you do, but I pray that you would send them. I pray that you would help us to be faithful to build the kingdom, not our castle. That you would help us to be faithful to trust the Spirit, not ourselves. That you would help us to be faithful to know and follow Jesus well as we call people to know and follow you well. So Lord, this summer, as we look through the book of Acts, and even this morning, as we begin, God, I pray that you would would begin the work of just giving us a a passion for your mission that's that's on par with your passion for the mission. Give give us a brokenness for those who don't know you that's on par, like that's that's the same level of your brokenness for those who don't know you. God, show us what the mission is us to come to see how we can be a part of it. Use us for your name, for your glory. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us?